Good morning, everyone. Hey, kids, you are dismissed, and uh, we have our middle school and high school class today. So um, I sound a little bit echoey, or maybe that's my new voice. But I've got Vince on the job in there, and I know it's going to be great. Hey, uh, I know it was mentioned earlier, but we want to make sure that people, number one, get signed up for family night so that we make sure we have enough food. Because if we don't have enough food, we've noticed that people get grumpy. And the last thing we want are grumpy people. So sign up in the back there in the atrium. There is a sign-up sheet. And also today from 1 to 3 is our youth group. So uh, a lot of exciting stuff going on. And of course today, Super Bowl Sunday. A lot of excitement with that. How many people think the Eagles can do it this year? How many people think the Eagles could do it this year, but there's a chance they won't? Yeah, so uh, my oldest son is, is working with the middle school, high school, and, and he's, he's really become a true Eagles guy. He's like, Dad, he goes, I really think we're going to win the Super Bowl. And I said, that's great. And in a few seconds there, he goes, we could lose. We might lose. I hope we don't lose. I think we might lose. So I think that that's a true Philadelphia fan. Hey, we're going to win, but we might lose. So, but hey, listen, uh, I want to pray for us. Before we pray, I I just want to share, and I want to thank you guys. If you don't know, this week was kind of a a crazy week for Pam and I. Um, So I'm just going to read this for those of you who know or don't know what went on in our home. Uh, I want to thank you for your prayers. As many as you know, Pam was taken to the hospital via ambulance uh, this past Tuesday, and there was concern that she was having a stroke. Um, After 24 hours and countless tests, the conclusion was that she did not have a stroke or a heart attack, but rather an episode called transient global amnesia, TGA, which you actually can look it up Um, on medical blogs, and I read all about it, and I actually copied something down, so this helped me to understand what went on with Pam. Transient global amnesia, TGA, is a sudden temporary interruption of short-term memory. Although patients may be disoriented, uh, not know where they are confused about time, they are otherwise alert, attentive, and have normal thinking abilities. Unlike patients experiencing dementia, TGA patients keep their personal identity, their consciousness, and ability to perform complex routine tasks. During the episode, however, patients are unable to form new memories. Episodes of TGA are generally brief, and although the effects are temporary, the patient often does not remember anything from the episode. So this is what went on with Pam on Tuesday. Uh, I will admit it was a little bit nerve-wracking for me because literally in a light switch moment, Pam went from being my wife to asking me all sorts of crazy questions and very confused and running around the house looking for the kids and not understanding that they were at school and different things and repeating herself over and over. But I want to say this. um, I am so thankful. Like, you you call the ambulance and here come these strangers in their house. And these people, like, I know that during the pandemic people put signs up, these are heroes. But these medical workers are amazing. And when we went in the hospital, like the nurses and the doctors and everything, they were just so kind and so attentive and so immensely worked. I I just couldn't believe all the work that these people were doing. And 
Pam was admitted, because they weren't sure what was going on, she was admitted into the stroke ward. And so the majority of people there had either had strokes or recovering from different things. And some of them were very, very difficult patients. And yet I just saw kindness and love and commitment and trying and effort. And it is immense. And I really think, I don't know more of a noble calling to, to do this. Uh, Pam's roommate was a woman who was 95 years old and a stroke, in for a stroke. And at times she was screaming and yelling, she was hard to deal with, and they just were so, I, I mean, I'm behind this curtain on the other side of the room and I'm thinking, these people are absolutely amazing. So I'm very, very thankful for that. And I'm thankful for everyone's prayers. And I want to pray for us right now. And we're going to dig into God's word. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here. You know, uh, a friend of mine called me and said, Eric, you, you probably shouldn't preach this week because you got all this stuff going on. I said, no, no, no. This is what I want to preach because these are the times where I really feel God powerfully. And I don't want to miss that. So who knows what you're going to get. But let me pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm thankful for this day. I'm thankful for this time. Lord, uh, the other day I sat in an emergency room with probably 40 other people, and all of them are in some level of crisis. And Lord, so was I, but the difference was is you are with me, and your hand was upon me in this situation, and upon, and upon Pam as well. And Lord, I'm thankful. I'm thankful, Lord, because in that room of 40 or so people, I ran, remember thinking, how many of them are on this on their own? And they're just trying to figure it out in their flesh and on their own and the heartbreak and heart, just decisions and different things going on, Lord. Um, listen, life has got moments where it can be a little bit scary, uh, but Lord, I would never want to go through those moments without you. And so we thank you for this time, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, last week we talked about mountaintops and we talked about valleys. And I told you very clearly that uh, Jesus is king of the mountaintops and he's king of the valleys. And the beautiful thing is, is I always encourage people to recognize Christ when you're on these mountaintop experiences so you also can recognize him when you're in the valley moments. Um, last week we talked about Jesus being transfigured on the mountain and, and remember that Moses and Elijah appear with them and it's this wonderful, wonderful moment. And do you remember, what did Peter want to do? He's like, hey, listen, could we build tabernacles and we, we can just kind of hang out here? Because listen, when you're on the mountaintop, where's the one place you really, really don't want to go? I don't want to go down the mountain. Who knows what's going on down there? Some of the disciples are hard to deal with, and God knows that the crowd that's brought around is hard to deal with, so Lord, let's just stay here with you. But the valley experience has come. Remember, Jesus goes down there, and the scribes and the disciples are arguing, and Jesus says, what are you arguing about? And what did they say? Well, we brought this guy, brought his kid, and your disciples couldn't cast out the demon. And in the midst of all this stuff, here's this boy thrashing around. And I think if I'm one of the disciples who was up on the mountain, I'm going, it was a lot nicer up there. Can we go back? Jesus casts out that demon. The point is, is that Jesus is king. 
He's king during the mountaintop moments. He's king during the valley experiences. See, the beautiful thing is, is we all love being in the mountaintop experiences, but how many people have ever heard this quote, success has a thousand fa fathers, but failure is an orphan. And it's almost like you think, well, but in the valley, will he be there? And he is. And David says it in Psalm 23. He says, you, you, you make a meal for me in the presence of my enemies. This week I've been thinking about the fact that life is made up of two relationships, our vertical relationship with the Lord and our horizontal relationship with others. The point being is that these two relationships can really, really shape us. But the most important thing is we need to make sure that our vertical relationship with the Lord is influencing our horizontal relationship, just like a cross at shape. Our vertical relationship needs to influence our horizontal relationship. But we live in a society that lets our horizontal relationship influence our vertical relationship. So how many of you know someone, or maybe this is you yourself, have had an experience happen in life that maybe someone else did or something else did, and somehow or another someone else has negatively impacted your vertical relationship? Do you understand what I mean? In other words, I had a friend, and listen, I'm not belittling what he went through. He went through an abuse situation, a, a sexual abuse situation in a church. It's awful, horrible, inexcusable, period. But he said to me, Eric, I believe in God, but I really have no interest because this guy did this to me. And I remember saying to him, listen, what happened to you is awful, horrible, and it's sin, and it's wickedness but God loves you God cares for you and a lot of times we need to make sure that this relationship influences this relationship but I know a lot of people will say well Eric you know what I used to go to church and I used to read the Bible but I don't anymore because my neighbor says he's a Christian you should see the way they live and I'm going no wait a minute that's not how it is the opposite. We should allow uh, our vertical relationship to influence our horizontal relationship because guess what? These horizontal relationships are filled with flawed people. How many people know someone that's flawed? How many people have an inkling that maybe you're flawed? People sin. People let each other down. People, in short, are people. We joke around a lot, like sometimes Bob or I or Ed and I will be talking about ministry, and Ed will say something like, boy, ministry would be a lot easier if it weren't for all the people, right? And guess what? We're part of the problem, right? Remember last week I talked about different titles. You know, I'm a son, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a friend, I'm a pastor. And all of those are horizontal uh, titles, and they're really cool. But my biggest title is I'm a child of God's, and that's my vertical title. And I want to cling to that vertical title because this title can kind of go off the rails every now and then. Today I want to jump ahead in the book of Mark, and you can know that this is definitely something that God's laid on my heart because if there's one thing you'll learn about me, I don't do things out of order. So we're going to skip part of Mark 9, and we'll get back to it later, but we're going to go into Mark 10. And even when I, I suggested this to Pam, I said, I'm going to skip a little bit of 9, I'm going to go to 10. And she went, really? Said, yes, because I think 
God's laid this on my heart, so I know it's from the Lord because I would never do this in the flesh. But in Mark chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 1. Now, you may read the title in your Bible and go, uh-oh, here we go, marriage and divorce. Eric's gonna, and, you know, didn't they just do a marriage conference a couple weeks ago? We, we have to do this again? It's going to be different. Let's look at Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Our three for the road, number one, horizontal relationships strive endlessly to justify themselves. See, you're going to see a big contrast between a vertical and a horizontal relationship in this passage. Let's look at verse 1. He, then he, meaning Jesus, arose from there, and he came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And the multitudes gathered to him again, and as he was accustomed to, he, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? Now remember I told you that organized religion is never really concerned about people. In other words, when Jesus came down off the mountain, it said that the scribes are arguing with the Pharisees. What I think they should have all been doing is praying for this poor young man who was demon-possessed. Have you ever seen times where it's like people are completely missing the point? And they're completely missing the point. And so Jesus is teaching people, and rather than them coming to observe or learn or even question to grow, like as a teacher, as a pastor, as a coach, when I have a student, when I have somebody who comes to me and says, hey, you know, I'm trying to figure this out. Explain this to me. I love that. I love that. I love to help somebody understand something and apply it to their life. So here's the thing. They come to him, but why did they come to him? To test him. To test him. And so what do they say to him? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, it's a trap. And here's what the trap is. It's kind of like when Jesus uh, was confronted in John 8 with the woman caught in adultery. If Jesus says, hey, you know what? Divorce is wrong and you should never divorce. Then he's going against the Mosaic law. Moses was the lawgiver. Now, interestingly enough, I think Peter, James, and John could go, hey, we actually just saw him recently up on the mountain. We, we saw Moses. He talked to us. If he says... Hey, so he could speak against Moses. If he says, hey, listen, you know, and he gets into the marriage thing, remember, that's what got John the Baptist in trouble. Because John the Baptist spoke out about Herod, who married his brother's wife, who was actually his niece, and there's all sorts of creep levels in that. John spoke out about it. Herod had him arrested, and when the time came, Herodias, his wife, had him beheaded. So they're trying to trap him, and they said, and they answered in the, verse 2, it says, And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? Now let's make this hit home. Horizontal relationships strive endlessly to justify themselves. How many of you have an urge, just a drive in you to be right? How many of you, when you're in a conversation, you're just waiting for the person to take a breath, pass out, put food in their mouth so that you can say what you want to say, right? So we can be talking, I'm going, Stacy, take a sip of coffee. Because as soon as you take a sip, I'm going, aha! Well, Stacy, thus saith the Lord, and blah, 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 and I'm going to prove, because I want to be right. That is a characteristic 
of horizontal relationships. The endless drive to be right. The endless drive to justify yourself. You know, the interesting thing is, the most just being ever to walk the face of this planet never argued to justify himself. Isn't that ironic? What if we stopped wanting to always be right and focus on the fact that we are broken and we need a vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father to guide us? And here's the other thing. What if we accepted the fact that not only am I broken and not only are you broken, but we might be broken in different ways? And so things that, like, if I were talking to Stacy and Stacy would say, she struggles, and I'd go, I don't know why she struggles, because I'm not broken in that way. But then there's other things where Stacy might be like, man, get a tissue, get an issue, get out of here. What are, what's your problem? But we can be like that, right? We're differently broken. You know, it's easy to say to someone, hey, listen, you should trust, but if you haven't been betrayed, it's hard to trust. I've been in situations where I've counseled couples where there's been uh, someone has cheated on the other person. And, she, and they'll say, Eric, listen, despite forgiveness, despite reconciliation, I'm telling you, when they're 10 minutes late coming home from something, I go, uh-oh. It's hard to trust. Francesca uh, Battistelli is one of my favorite Christian artists. She wrote a song called If We're Honest. Listen to these lyrics. She says, truth is harder than a lie. The dark seems safer than the light. And everyone has a heart that loves to hide. I'm a mess and so are you. We've built walls nobody can get through. Yet it may be hard, but the best thing we could ever do is bring your brokenness and I'll bring mine. Because love can heal what hurt divides. And mercy's waiting on the other side, if we're honest. Don't pretend to be something you're not. Living life afraid of getting caught. There's freedom found when we lay our secrets down at the cross. And how many of us, we're just dying on this level. And when you're living on the horizontal level and that's all you live in, then guess what? I got to step on you to make me look better. And I got to justify me to look better. And so every conversation is going, yeah, but you did this. And you did this. But you said this. Well, you said this. And it's constant. And this is what the Pharisees are engaged in. They're not there because they're saying, hey, Jesus, help us counsel people. Jesus, help us to love the Lord the way you love the Lord. Jesus, teach us. Instead, they're going, let's see if we can stump this guy out. Because one characteristic of people who are justifying is they'll ask questions when they already have the answer. Because they're testing. Let me see if you're as smart as I am. Let's test you. I already know it, so I'll ask you a question, and then I'll try and belittle you with my answer. Let's keep going. Three for the road, number two, a vertical relationship takes pressure off and puts grace into horizontal relationships. A vertical relationship takes pressure off and puts grace in the horizontal relationships. So what I love is how Jesus responds to this. Verse three, and he answered him and said, what did Moses command you? 
So Jesus say, hey, listen, you're teachers of the law. That's your title. So give me the law. What's the law? And they answered him, and they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Can you imagine that? We, we did a premarital counseling session yesterday, Pam and I, and I said to the, 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 the one bride-to-be, her name is Brenna, I said, Brenna, can you imagine if you had been married a short time, and one day I show up at your door and I say, Brenna, I'm sorry, Kyle says thank you for everything, but you've been dismissed. She laughed, and then she looked at Kyle, and I went, ooh, no, doesn't sound good. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce to dismiss her. Now, in the Jewish law, in different Jewish sects, there was different reasons why you could dismiss a woman. Uh, if, if she didn't conceive, you could dismiss a woman, even though we know that that's not always necessarily something that is because of her. But back then, there was a belief that if a woman didn't conceive, that somehow there was sin in her life and God was punishing her so you could get rid of her. There were a variety of other reasons. Interestingly enough, in that culture, the woman couldn't dismiss the husband. Hmm. So, but here's the interesting thing. Jesus will say, give me the law, and then he'll give you the heart of the law. And this is the beautiful thing about Christ. Jesus is God's son. He puts flesh on the faith, and Jesus puts flesh on the law. What does he do? He says, hey, listen, before we start speaking about marriage, let's go all the way back to the intention of our hearts. Jesus answered and said, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. God says, you know what the problem is? It's your heart. It's your heart. And then he says, but let me share my heart. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, and then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together let no man separate. The horizontal says you can dismiss this person. The vertical says you're one. You're one. You would never go to a doctor and say, hey, you know what, I'm just tired of having a left arm. Let's remove it. No. It's part of you. And that's what Jesus says, listen, you have a problem with your heart, and it's horizontal. You treat people. You dismiss people. You treat them. As, and the other thing is, horizontal relationships, everyone has a value, and some are more valuable than others. But in a vertical relationship, all have value. And Jesus says they're one. You're one flesh. That's what you are. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife, marries another, commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, remember that Jewish, Jesus is speaking 
to the Jewish culture, but he's also speaking beyond the Jewish culture because the Gentiles carried divorce a whole different way. Now, let's, let's make this hit home here. Now, I want to say something about divorce. I would never, ever tell anyone to stay in an abusive relationship. Uh, that is completely out of bounds. And Pam and I have dealt with our share of, of people who have been physically abused, sexually abused, and, and, and just absolutely horrible, awful stuff. I would never say that, but I will say this. For every couple that there is obvious, horrible abuse going on, there's been nine of them who just say, eh, I'm just kind of done. And that is a problem. They are dismissing one another. As soon as things get hard, they dismiss one another. A good friend of mine, him and his wife separated. And he had some issues that he had to work on. And I'm going to tell you something. This guy, it was amazing what God's doing, was doing in his life. And I remember sitting down with his wife and saying, listen, I, I got to tell you. And she leans across the table and she says, Eric, it's absolutely amazing what's going on in his life. And I said, yeah, praise God, because I, I'm even shocked at some of these things. And she said, I'm still proceeding with the divorce, though. And I went, but you, you just said that you sense that he's changing. And she said, Eric, I don't become, care if he becomes John the Baptist. I'm done. And I remember in my mind, I could not connect someone who definitely saw God moving and working and still went, I'm done. And her point was, Eric, do you know how much work beyond this we need? And I remember thinking, yes, but you're off to a good start. She quit. And the problem with that is that I notice people who will divorce real casually will also divorce from their vertical relationship pretty casually. And I'm going to tell you that this girl went from being a leader in a youth ministry and discipling girls and doing home studies and everything like that to completely walking away from everything to the point that I'm telling you, the next time I saw her, you could see that she was a different person spiritually, you could tell. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh. But guess what? Just like she dismissed her husband, she went to the Lord and said, hey, you know what? I got some hurt here and I'm done with you. And that was it. And I'm not saying that every situation goes that way, but I've seen it a lot. We all have hard times in life and we all have people who let us down. Parents, spouses, children, employees, employers, even your pastor can let you down. But we need to be careful about our relationship horizontally because if we're not careful, we expect too much from this relationship. See, I believe God put Pam in my life to complement my life and to complete my life. We complement one another. In a human aspect, she fills needs that I have and wants that I have and makes my life richer. However, it's unreasonable and it's also dangerous for me to ask Pam to be my vertical as well. Because only the Lord can do that. And in the same way, if Pam's looking in for that from me, guess what? She's going to be really disappointed. Because I'm just Eric. 
and I'm broken. I can't do this. I can't be her Lord. I can't be her Savior. I can't fulfill what's missing in her that was designed to be filled by God. And sometimes we put people in that category. And we want them to be almost a Savior-like to us. But that doesn't work that way. I always laugh. Um, I've got various women in my life that I care for greatly, but they seem to have an addiction to the Hallmark Channel every now and then. And I remember one time my mom came to visit us, and she's watching this Hallmark movie, and it just starts. Do we have some Hallmark people here? Uh, all right, we, we got a little confession going on. Okay. I walk in the room, this movie's just starting, and I stop, and my mom goes, oh, oh, this is a new one. I haven't seen it. I'm going to watch it. And I went, that guy's going to fall in love with her, and they're going to get married. And she looks over me and goes, that's great. You just ruined it. I said, well, I don't know, hon. Like, they're both, they lost their wife, and they lost their husband, and they're the only two not married, and they're going to fall in love with you. <sighs> well, you're probably wrong. A few hours later, she comes in the kitchen, and she's got a little walk. She comes in, you were right, but I don't want to hear a word about it. And she walked in. But we think, because at the end of those movies, doesn't it seem like, wow, they fulfilled this and this. Hollywood has a way of doing that, but it never works out that way. Don't put people in a vertical relationship. Don't put godly expectations on broken, sinful people because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it only leads you to disappointment and it puts the other person in an unwinnable situation. They can't do it. No matter how wonderful I am, no matter what I could do for Pam, I could be the greatest husband that ever walked the face of the earth, I will fall tragically short of being this. But let's finish this up. Take your vertical, three for the road, number three, take your vertical uh, relationship into the, your horizontal world. See, one of the things that I think is a big trick that people have to figure out in life is they really believe this, but then they go, I don't know exactly how it works here. So you got to wrestle with it here. Because if this relationship is really big, what I want this relationship is to be overflowing that it oozes out into these different areas. That's what we need to be doing. So let's look at verse 13. And I think this is a beautiful passage. Well, it's a little bit ugly at first, and then it sharpens up. So then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. Now remember, the Pharisees came to do what? Pick a fight, trap them, test them, whatever you want to call it. What are the children coming for? I don't know. Their parents are just bringing them, but I am telling you that I believe that Jesus had an attraction that especially the kid, they, uh, wow, they just want to be near him. They just want to be near him. I saw a, uh, a video online where if you know who Shaquille O'Neal is, he's an NBA Hall of Famer. He was a center, played in the NBA for years. Seven foot two, I mean, big, huge man. He's waiting backstage on something for the NBA, and there's, they got the crowd all, you know, cornered off and roped off, and all of a sudden, this little boy walked right underneath the rope because it was set at, like, waist high, and he didn't see it. He walked right underneath the rope, and he went behind, and he put his arm around Shaquille O'Neal's leg and hugged him, and then ran away. And Shaquille O'Neal is so big, he turns around and goes, 
And he points to the kid and he goes, come here, man. And this kid came out and he hugged this little kid. And it was funny because the kid just disappeared and Shaquille, he was just giant and he just hugged him. And what I realized is they interviewed one of the players later and he goes, listen, there's lots of NBA players, but I think because Shaq has that size and that smile, he said, kids just love him. He said, when he walks by, kids just touch him. <laughs> because he goes, they're just that crazy about him. And guys, I think Jesus was that a million times over. And he comes in, and I think he looked at kids, and he knew what they were thinking, and I think they knew what he was thinking. And, he, and I think kids knew what Jesus thought about them. So, parents are bringing their kids. Jesus is there. And then I love the disciples right on cue, man. These guys do a good job, don't they? Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. Guys, I think the time for rebuking might have been at the bottom of the mountain when the scribes were arguing with you. I think the time for rebuking, there was a million opportunities, but somehow I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if it was 2,000 years ago or if it's today. Grown men yelling at children doesn't go well. Right? So here's these guys who walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, hang out around the fire, see them do miracles and all these things, and they're going, let's clean these kids out of here. I don't know who these bratty guys think they are, but they're not coming near him because he's God. That makes a lot of sense. So what does Jesus do? But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. Do you think Jesus could give that look? You know that look when somebody, like you know how your parents could give you that look? And you go, hmm. They give you the look. Pam can give that look. It can cause your heart to stop. Jesus gave that look, and he was greatly displeased, and he said, let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Jesus said, do you not understand? This is the future. This is what it is. Last week after church, there's some kids running around, and I'm thinking, okay, I just hope they don't plow over somebody that's older, but in a sense, I thought, this is fun. Like these kids are smiling, they're happy, they're loud. They've got a lot of sugar in them from donuts. And they love being around me, I'm talking to them, we're laughing and everything, and then the great thing is I know they're gonna go home and drive some parent crazy. But that's okay. Jesus says to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them in his arms and he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. Can you imagine that? Jesus picking up these children and blessing them. What did he say to them? What did he do? More interesting, what did these children become? What was their future like? Maybe some of them became pastors. Maybe some of them turned their whole homes around from being a pagan worship family or a religious family to a relational, Christ-loving family. What happened? I don't know. It's beautiful. Let's make this hit home. Maybe we need to model more vertical living in our horizontal world and figure out what that looks like. Take your vertical relationship 
into your horizontal world. I wanted to try and give an example of this, and this is kind of a goofy example, but you know, one of the things I think about taking our vertical walk with the Lord and bringing our horizontal world, I think a lot of it has to do with forgiveness. And it's turning to this horizontal world and saying, listen, I may have hurt you, you may have hurt me, we may have wounds, we have, may, may have scars, but I forgive you and I love you and I care for you and I want our horizontal relationship to be overflowing because of our vertical relationship. There can be so much pain. Years ago, there was a, a sitcom on TV called The Big Bang Theory. I don't know if anyone ever watched that show. I think, do we have a picture of that? No, we don't. Okay. That's all right. The premise of the show uh, goes with these two scientists who are brilliant. One is named Leonard Hostetter, another one is named Shel Dr. Sheldon Cooper, and they're physicists at Caltech. Both are childhood geniuses, and the show goes through many crazy adventures of Leonard and Sheldon. But through the 12 seasons, you get little insights onto what has made them who they are. Leonard is a man that, despite being brilliant, is very self-doubting. He's very insecure. He belittles himself often. He believes he has nothing to offer. Although the show is funny, from time to time, the viewers are given insight on the deeper parts of their lives. Leonard's mom is a world-famous psychologist. Leonard's older siblings are highly successful. And throughout the 12 seasons, there are countless times when Leonard is dealing with his cold, non-emotional, non-physical mother who berates his work, his decisions, and his relative failure compared to his siblings. In other words, most people would be thrilled if your kid had a PhD and was working at a research institution, but she believes that her, her, his older siblings have become much more in life. As the show was coming towards a close in the 12th season, Leonard and his mother have an awful interaction, a horrible interaction. Just to give you an idea, is there would be times where Leonard would reach out to his mom for help in different things, and she would say, hey, I wrote a great book on Amazon about this. Why don't you purchase it? That would be her help, and at one point she comes to visit him, him and his wife, and she just berates him and says some awful things and does some awful things, and at one point Leonard storms out of their apartment, leaving his wife with her mother-in-law in this very tense situation. Leonard leaves the apartment, he comes back in the apartment, and he's armed himself. How many of you go into horizontal situations where you're like, all right, I am going to let them have it? and you've got the guns loaded up, right? You're ready to just nail this person for everything they've ever done wrong. How many people have ever gone into a situation like that? Well, this situation, something different happened. And so do we have the video? We do have the video. So can we turn the lights off in the back? Ted, can you grab those lights? And you're gonna see this scene is going to pick up where Leonard is going to walk into the apartment. His wife immediately wants out of the apartment because she doesn't wanna be in there. 